0: Okay, good evening, everybody. Pleasure to be here. Baruch Hashem, we uh, we made it. it. Was weren't sure if we we're gonna make it till this time. But we made it. Baruch Hashem. I saw salt today, and we weren't sure if we make it for Shabbos, which was a beautiful Shabbos, and for today's program. So Baruch Hashem, everything worked out. So last night uh, we were waiting um, for a phone call and for a text message, and at two o'clock in the morning, I got a text message. It wasn't from my daughter. It was from Shimon. Willie. We Who said that his flight was canceled. So that was 2 o'clock this morning. And Baruch Hashem, not that many hours, he was later, he was here. So Kashborhu Baruch Hu helped us last year after the Shemaya, Um in the wee hours of the morning, and a little later than that, we worked on flights. And a few hours later, I got the real call from her, as well. So, Baruch Hashem, that was you, the, you the impetus to make that happen. So, Baruch Hashem. One word, perhaps, of, of introduction to this concept that we're going to talk about tonight the idea of finances and financial responsibility something which is on our minds certainly all the time on different varying levels and now i want to share a personal thing which i just did for the first time in our lives about six weeks ago for the first time it should be embarrassed to say maybe we made some sort of a real budget and it's something we always talked about and wanted to do and thought about doing and dreamt about doing and pushed off doing, a lot of different gulam with how that evolved. The reason why we finally did it, and I'm not proud of this, but it came from a good reason. Baruch Hashem, we were going to make two chasnas in the past year, in the Bar Mitzvah, and Baruch Hashem, going to seminary, some camps, tuition, and all the regular life in between. And somehow we finished the year on, like, what just happened? Like, We really, really didn't know what just happened what just hit us. And we realized that it was probably about time to actually make it happen. And what's the result of it has been incredible. Just liberating and understanding and gave, not that it makes anything, it doesn't change anything, it doesn't change financial reality, but it changes the ability to understand really what's happening. And many people probably have it already, and I'm probably preaching to the choir, but I'm speaking to myself to encourage myself to keep doing it, because it gave me a very different perspective, like, what's happening? And I did it really on my own. There's very many more professional ways of doing it, so we'll talk about that um, through Living Jewish Better, I think it's called, right? Smarter Living Smarter Jewish, thank you. Living Smarter Jewish, which is one of the programs which we'll get to in a moment to talk about that, that helps one do that. But I did it on my own and sort of tried to figure it out, and itself was very helpful, and hopefully I'll take it to the next level of doing it more professionally, something which has been very, very enlightening. And it's part of Heshtadlis. I was talking to Hashem beforehand, and recorded quoted the Gemara, which I've heard and told myself the same thing, that brach only happens when something is hidden. So that's how financials, finances work. When they're hidden, they sort of work out. And the Gemara talks about this concept in certain situations where it's appropriate. Counting things, and it's better to keep things sort of hidden, but I don't believe it's talking about a person dealing with the finances. That's not what Chazal is talking about. Ishtabas is relevant, necessary, and important like every other area of life to figure out and be responsible and figure out the proper means of Ishtabas in doing that. And to say that I'm blaming it on Chazal, that I'm just not figuring and doing anything responsibly is not what Chazal wants us to do. Blame it on them and take responsibility for it. It's part of Ishtabas like everything else. So I think the importance of this can't be um, understated in any way, shape, or form. The sponsors of tonight, the genesis of Shibman being here is from a phone call and I we reached out to the Living Jewish Smarter? Living Smarter Jewish Living Smarter Jew, Jewish, thank you. Um, which I was introduced to by someone else and I met one of the people who are running it, and they're really trying to make a national, maybe international awareness and campaigns and help and coaching, etc. They have incredible things, they really they're just the beginning. They started with some podcasts, which maybe some people have seen. A lot of incredible things. And they really tried to make a difference. And I reached out to one of the people who are running it. And I said, can you suggest someone who could be helpful and be informative to our community? And the first name I got was Shimon. He said he's been doing presentations on the East Coast. And I think it's the first time out of the East Coast. But I'm happy to be, make it a first and the debut outside. This is the debut of your big speaking career across the international world, and George Tremendous Chosta is here, and also partnering with Jewish Family Services, Baruch Hashem, over the past number of years, we've had a relationship with them, and particularly Liz Vogel is the CEO, been tremendously helpful in many things. We have a resource center, which is run right out of the shul, which they're very, very involved in, sponsoring, etc., and many other things that they've been very helpful with, and they were the sponsor of tonight's program, so very much thanks to Liz and her team for helping that out. Just for structure tonight, we're going to try to limit certainly personal questions that are relevant to someone's personal situation to afterwards, um, there'll be time for questions and answers. I'll we'll try to limit questions in between, just things for of clarity. Hashem will take as long as, as long as he needs, then we'll open to questions and answers. After then, we'll have myrav following, and without further ado, with a tz'chus. Hashem will like to present to us on this very important hush of a topic, coming out from New York. On a flight which was canceled and still made it here. So itself is an ace. floor is yours.
1: <clears throat> wow. Um, I guess before we begin, it's hard to start anything in in CZE today without really wishing miles stuff thereof. Um, I'm sorry that it was me who dis- who you know, gave you a ping and, and it was just me saying that my flight was canceled. That's kind of like uh, counterproductive. Um, but really, a tremendous a tremendous thank you to everybody, everybody, um for arranging everything over here. Um, again, from being so quick on his feet that when we had a canceled flight, I had a 10 o'clock flight this morning and it was canceled. I let, I let everyone know at two o'clock in the morning and probably around 7 o'clock in the morning, we were already working on another flight. And I got into on an 11 o'clock a.m. flight. So um, really, like, incredible stuff without missing a beat. So uh, this definitely would not have even started with our armor, but definitely would not have, uh, like, followed through without, uh, you know, your uh, incredible leadership and in getting this uh, pushed through. But really also, you know, I, I'm originally from Queens. So we're, like, you know, the out-of-town, in-town part of New York. And it's really, it's really heartwarming. I mean it honestly. To be in a community like Cincinnati, first of all, I've heard so much about when I was learning Arabic. There was a big talk about Cincinnati. Elephant was such a big fan of the community, and now that I finally, I'm finally here, and I got to meet so many, you know, so many of the people. just such beautiful people, terrific families, mention everything about it was just so impressive, and of course that we have such a tremendous Q Gardens presence here in. Cincinnati, it's, it's, it's really heartwarming to uh to get a taste from home.
0: Some people seem
1: light. <laughs> <laughs> Some people, have, that's why I came here as well. Um, but really, it's, it's really, 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 really been beautiful so, so far to be here. But I'm going to repeat a few of the thank yous because I feel like I have to repeat it myself and can't just rely on, on, on the rub for it. But huge thank you to, to Zevi Wallman and, and everything that he does in, in Living Smarter Jewish Many of you may, might have heard the podcast, um, Course Your Money, which, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of, of viewers have, have uh, you know, been seeing on all the different um, podcasts that they put out. And again, I don't want to get myself in trouble by giving too much credit where credit maybe shouldn't be put, but Living Smarter Jewish is every woman have been, you know, behind it. He does everything quietly without asking for anything back. Um, I think he has many different organizations that he's running, but one of them is definitely this issue to try to really bring a financial education to every single Jewish family, um, whether or not they would either couldn't get access to financial advice, or whether or they just didn't know that they should go and get access to it. But really, he's been his passion. One of his passions has been this, and um, if you ever speak, if you if you've ever spoken to him, he's really one of the. The Men Hadar is like to call him, just such a, such a beautiful, wonderful person. So he gets a tremendous thank you for everything he does you know, under Living Smarter Jewish. And then, last but not least, one last thank you to um, Simon Taylor, who works officially for the OU as their liaison. Somehow he's connected to Living Smarter Jewish. I don't know how they got him. And he's been a person that I've worked with to you know, lecture and talk about these topics you know, in a more public setting. And everything that I've whenever I've, I've worked with him it's really been you know an honor and a, you know a pleasure so so thank you to Simon for um, again playing such an important role in this as well um, so many year, many years ago um, I learned in yeshiva in our all and there was a really a really wonderful Jew if you can picture him he was a a Yemenite and a breast love with all the the you know the garb and everything from the payas to the look. And his and his role in the yeshiva was he was the everything man. If you know sometimes he probably acted as a cook. He was doing maintenance, you know, part-time. And he was sitting around one day and he was recounting a story that happened when he was a teenager. And what happened was he was he must have just gotten a bike, which is a very exciting moment in our straw. And he was taking it for its first spin. Near his house where he lived, there was a huge staircase, like, you know, probably 50, one of those big, huge, you know, earth stroll staircases. And it's like a pride symbol. Like, you know, if you get a bike, you gotta go right down those stairs, you know, and brag about it and talk about um, that you went down those stairs. So sure enough, this guy's a tough guy. And he takes his bike right to the stairs, Goes biking down the stairs, amazing, and he flips and tumbles off and he breaks both his hands. Amazing story. A few months later, he's back and all, he's all healed and he's back on his bike. But he's got the stairs he has to tackle. So he goes right after it again, takes his bike down the stairs, flips, and breaks both his hands again. This is a 100% a true story. So, of course, like any good Jew, we immediately, after something happens to us twice, something so tragic, we start to make some cheshwara nefesh. And he starts thinking, this is really, I'm telling this is a true story. And he starts thinking about what could have possibly gone wrong. What did did I do that made me break both my hands twice? So he checks his mezuzahs, and he goes from one mashpiyah to the next mashpiyah. And, you know, people don't really have any good answers why he broke his hands twice. So, so finally he goes to, you know, a, a, a wonderful Rebbe of his. And the Rebbe says, so, you know, tell me, h- how did you break your hands? So he says, I'll tell you. I was taking my bike. I backed down the stairs. I flipped over. I broke, broke with a hand. He says, wow, ter- terrible story. She so says, how did you break it again? He says, so I took my bike again. And I rode down the stairs. I flipped over and broke with the hands. So he says, maybe you shouldn't focus on the mezuzah, but maybe just, just don't bike down the stairs again. And it seems so simple, but in the financial world, it really works that way as well. I think there's a famous quote that either you learn from others' mistakes, either you learn from others' mistakes, or you learn from your own, and it's much less painful to learn from others. So, a lot that we're going to discuss tonight is really going through, you know, from my experience, what I've, you know, seen and heard, and we're we're going to try to um, tackle some of those some of those issues. So. For all of you to come out here tonight, it's definitely a tremendous mysterious nefesh. A Sunday night, to cut your weekend short a little bit. Babysitting, whatever arrangements you know you took to make sure that to make sure that you can be here, is definitely mysterious nefesh. And I think that many of you have heard discussions about finance about finances, and I think most of them revolve a lot more about general investing and Maybe you'll hear a little bit about S&E 100 and maybe you, 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 you would hear the, the big D word, diversification. But tonight here, we're gonna I think we're going to approach savings and investing in a much more fundamental way. We're going to talk about financial planning. We're going to talk about the fundamentals of what it means to properly plan and set goals for yourself. So... We have to discuss what is financial planning. What, is, what does it mean to you know, look at your finances and, and set goals for yourself? So I think it's over. People may you know, talk a lot about investing, but really it's, it can be described in really three Ps. It's to predict future expenses and to properly plan for them. Again, it's to predict a future expense and to properly plan for those expenses. Again, nowhere did I say any word about investing. Never a discussion about it. Predict and then properly plan. That's it, three words. So I wanna bring, bring this out with a story. A few months ago, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and he was actually a very forward-thinking guy. He wanted to be financially responsible. He wanted to save for various expenses, for a bar mitzvah, and for weddings—you know, all the classic expenses that us us Jews have. So, he he's actually in a very comfortable financial position. He has consistent money that comes in year over year, and. He wanted to take part of that money, whatever was above his budget, and invest it properly. And I think the number that he at least had at this point was maybe like seventy-five thousand dollars that he wanted to invest. It wasn't a tremendous amount, but he wanted to use it and put it to put it to good work. So, what he did was he had a relative of his who was very into investing. Again, this was this was middle of 2021. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar about any part of the stock market, but. If you were, if you paid attention to what was going on, there was, you know, we were around a year plus into incredible confusion in the market. The market had gone through um, COVID and the market obviously suffers from it. And then over the next year, the market did tremendously well. And there were tremendous stocks that were rising and gaining 2X, 3X, 4X. There was incredible money to be made. And so his friend told him, listen, You know, give the money to me. I'll invest it for you. We're making great returns. And not only should you give me the $75,000 that you have, actually, you should borrow more money. You should borrow more money to invest. And it's called, in stocks, it's called to buy on margin. It means you take more than you have. And you pay, you know, some interest to to the bank that you can even make more money. Because if you have... $125,000, $125,000, can't you earn even more than just if you invested 75000 So, sure enough, that's what he did. He invested his money, he borrowed money, and he hit the market. In a, in a pro, in a, around November of 2021, around eight months ago, the market really took a huge tumble. Many stocks went down 75%, 80%, 90%. It was a tremendous, there was and there still is a tremendous bloodbath, bloodbath on many many stocks, and this friend of mine now came turning to me trying to figure out what he should do. And so I'm not here to come and start bashing people who played the market. There were many, many people who were very successful. That's not what my focus is for today, but my focus today is that my friend didn't make a proper financial plan. He didn't, number one, predict any future expense. He didn't discuss, wait, how much money do I need for a wedding? How much money do I need for a bar mitzvah to buy a car? For any, whatever expense he was looking for. There was just, I know I want to have money later on in life. Not bad, but no predicting of a future expense. And finally, there was no properly planning for the expense. There was just, hey, I, have, I want money later on in life, so I'm going to throw money at that mysterious expense. That's approaching financial planning in a, in a state of confusion. We want to approach it in a very fundamental way. We want to understand clearly what the goals are, and we want to properly invest for those goals, properly plan for those goals, which might include investing. So financial planning is really, as we'll see later, later on, it's really, not so, it's really not so complicated. We're going to discuss exactly how to do it, but it's not that complicated but what prevents people from financial planning and i'm going to give you a very simple answer but we'll, we'll talk about it as we move on and i think the thing, the main thing which prevents financial planning is money it sounds obvious but, let, but let's talk about it a little bit living as a jew is very expensive we have expenses there's a famous story i think with dave ramsey that there was a, a jew who wanted to talk to him about budgeting and, and planning. And he mentioned that he has a tremendous expense in school. He has tuition bills. And again, I might be messing up the story, but approximately this. He has all these high expenses. They send your kid to public school. You know, like, you can't do this. You can't be spending X amount of thousands of dollars on your kids' Your debt. You can't be spending this much money on your kid's school. And the guy's like, that's what we do. We're, I'm sending my kid to, to yeshiva. I'm sending my kid to private school. We're not sending to public school. So he said, oh, if that's the case, like I can help you. Like It just doesn't make sense. It can't, can't work. Um, but And it's true. He's right. Our expenses are much higher. We have, we have tuitions. We have children. We have Shabbos, Yom Dib. We even have to get pragmatic. Readers, there's a lot of societal pressure, which lives amongst many communities in the Jewish world. And it's very expensive to live. So when it comes to financial planning, it's like, I could barely make it month to month and you're gonna to talk to me about financial planning and saving and, you know, that just that's not a language which really resonates with, with any person who's who's struggling on a month to month basis. And if I could say, I don't think that's the correct perspective. Financial planning is an ability, as the Rav mentioned a little bit, to gain clarity about what you need for your future, to gain clarity about what you need for specific expenses to gain clarity for what you need, maybe from your life. Even if you can't necessarily put away money on a month-to-month basis, but if you can understand that I need a certain amount of money per year to go away for a bar mitzvah, or I need a certain amount of money to go away for a wedding, or even to buy a car or a house, all of a sudden your approach towards finances takes on a whole new level. If I know that $1,000 is all I need, it like open up, it opens up wellsprings of, well, you know what? I really don't need to spend this money over here. And, oh, I have a little extra money over here. Let me go put it towards this goal because it's very clear. If you just, don't, if you, if you just give up and throw your hands up and say, you know what? I don't have the money, so I don't want to financially plan. So then you have no chance because even if you have, you know, 50 or 100 dollars extra, you're not going to put it away towards the plan because you have nothing. You have no plan. You have no, you, there's nowhere for it to go. But I think that's not the end of the story. Baruch Hashem, there are many people in the Jewish world who have been very, very successful. You know, we've heard of many of them. We haven't heard of, of, of many of them. But there has been a lot of success with a lot of families. And so, and I'm here to tell you that a lot of them are not financially planning. What's preventing them from financially planning? What's stopping them from creating a clear financial goal? Something that for them to go... And, and work towards. So I wanna bring this out again with another story, another personal experience. Um, around a year ago, it was a very wealthy Jewish family which came to visit my office, our office I should say, and we were very excited about the opportunity to meet them. Obviously the prospects of, you know, gaining a nice client was, was, was exciting. So the, 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 the husband was, was good friends with my boss many years back, and they came into our office and we started to talk. We exchanged our pleasantries, hi, how are you? And then we got you know to talk about hey, so what's going on? You know, financially, what's you know, how can we help you? So very quickly we found out that this couple was not wealthy. In fact, the only thing that they had was their house, which was fully paid for, and they had a pretty significant amount of debt. And you know, after like, you know, recovering to like, you know, this was not going to be the the most opportunistic conversation. um, You know, we got to talk, like, what happened? You were obviously, you were very successful. It was pretty, like, you do well. It was pretty known that he was very successful. And like, so how did he become, you know, now, you know, relatively older, middle-aged man and with literally nothing? So he said, listen, I made millions of dollars when I was young, just into business. I, I made a few very successful business deals, we, we exited some business deals, and I was very successful. And I was also very confident. Obviously, I was an amazing businessman. Obviously, all my business decisions that I was gonna make were, were going to be as successful as my previous ones. So it really didn't, doesn't make any sense. I have money for my sales, I have money for weddings. Why, is it, why should I sit there and like plan and put away money and do what I gotta do? Like I'll, be, I'll be multimillionaire by the time that comes around. I'll just write a check or swipe a car, like no biggie. People are so, and I, by the way, this issue is is maybe even more than the previous issue. There are many, many people who have this mindset. Like We're so focused on our businesses. We're so, in a certain sense, greedy about continuing and continuing to earn more money and more money that we forget to actually make sure that we're going to have the money when we need it. So... what I guess I'm trying to bring out over here is that financial planning has nothing to do with how much money you have or how little money you have. It's really just about creating a financial goal. If you do have a lot of money, obviously it's easier to, pro- easier to properly plan for your financial goal. But even if you don't have it, it's very important and it's imperative to financial plan properly. So let's discuss for a little bit how exactly can you go about setting up a financial plan. And I hope that after we finish, everybody here will, will at least have some ability to take on expenses as they come up in their life and try to do this on themselves. It's really, It's really not that complicated. The first extremely important part of financial planning is properly recognizing that there's going to be an expense in the future. So there are many examples of this in a Jewish in a Jewish home. I want to discuss one which is, I think, very consistent with all homes. And that's a bar mitzvah. We all know that when a son turns 13, he will become bar mitzvah. There's really no getting around it. So if anybody here has a son, they know that when he, he turns 13, there will be a bar mitzvah expense. And bar, expenses can vary between different homes and different communities, but there's definitely some expense. So, I mean, I don't know what goes on in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm, really, I'm open for um, some, um, you know, uh, oh, feedback here. Like, what what does what, what bar mitzvah cost in Cincinnati today? Anybody? To six. Yeah. On the on the like the kiddush and the actual mitzvah.
0: From beginning to end, some can get by with two, some can get by by six. Depends on if your standards are a little higher. If you want a little fancier decor, then it's on the higher end. If you want lower decor, um, I find I think the expenses are more on the decor and presentation. They makes makes the cost go up, and then also if you have some some. Go less on that,
1: but that because they have a lot of family
0: that come in, and then they might help with family coming in. Um, uh, that includes the Tfilin? Yeah, Tfilin Oh, uh, that's a good question. No, you know, my father. Not, you know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. maybe that's more the. Event couple more and, grand for and, you know, okay. Shimmy, you know, you, Shimmy, you know, you
1: get hit for Tfilin when when uh, yeah. it's coming up, ready. And Tfilin prices so double. so price double. have doubled. Tfilin prices have doubled. Three, four thousand dollars if you if you go uh, right, very high so end. That's not including. So, so a bar mitzvah, I guess, again, let's, well, let's just keep it on, on the higher end so we can bring it into the middle between in-town and out-of-town. Let's say a bar mitzvah would cost you $10,000. So let's assume your son just had his absharon, and so you moved on from like the focus of the to now the next focus, which is a bar mitzvah. So let's say you have a, a three-year-old son. You know that in 10 years, he has the bar mitzvah, and you're going to have to pay for it. And right now... The Bar Mitzvah costs $10,000. But most of you know, I don't think I have to go through a deep explanation exactly what inflation is, but we definitely know that inflation will take its bite and that Bar Mitzvah that costs you a measly $10,000 today will not cost you $10,000 in 10 years. Okay? But how can we figure out exactly how much the Bar Mitzvah will cost in 10 years? Can we predict what inflation will be like for the next 10 years? Beautiful. We could look at historic trends. And this is a theme I want, I want to bring out many times tonight. And again, it's not for everybody. I know that internet and stuff is. <laughs> but for many, many questions that you have, you can turn to your best friend, and his name is Google. You know, in Gemara and Davyomi, they say you go to art school for any questions. And when it comes to like worldly and, you know, uh, advice, you just literally talk to Google, type the question in. So it happens to be if you type it in for inflation, it is a little bit, it is a little complicated. There's a lot of you know, 40 years, 30 years, 50 years. It's hard to get a really good, um, you know, website to, to really give you like proper historical data. But if you go, I think the website is officialdata.org. If you're curious, you can find out what the historical inflation rate is over 20, 40, 50, 100 since 1902. You can pick whatever year you would like, and it'll give you the cumulative inflation number, and I'll give you also the, the annual number, exactly how much money has inflation hit the economy for that amount of years. So I, I think over the last hundred years, the number is approximately 3%. Again, it could be a little more, it could be a little less. In the 1920s, there was a big differenti- differentiation. If you go from like 1920, it's going to be like 3%. If you go from like 1929, it nine, it'll be like 4%. There was obviously some big stuff that went on over there. But... That's annual? Annually. So we have approximately, we'll, we'll use a number approximately 3%. So your $10,000 bar mitzvah this year is going to cost you next year approximately $10,300. And the year afterwards, it's going to cost you more. Now, Baruch Hashem, we don't have to go and type this out by hand. We can go to a trusty old calculator. And again, you could turn to Google and put in this wonderful thing called inflation Calculator you Google inflation calculator, and there will be many different sites websites that will come up again. I will suggest going to a Calculator called calculator.net You'll find it on the first page if anybody wants to follow along they can Calculator.net and since I didn't do these numbers actually with $10,000. I'm gonna try myself if you don't mind um, Inflation Calculator, here we go. Here we go, calculator.net. So, (laughs) very simple. You put down an amount of money. We're looking at $10,000. Let's get up over here. All right, $10,000. No, I want this one. Here we go. $10,000 with 3% inflation. After I put in the number 3%, you can choose whatever historical data you are comfortable with. And I put in the number $10,000 with 3% inflation after 10 years and I hit good old calculate. And I know now that my bar mitzvah that this year costs $10,000 in 10 years will cost me $13,439.16. And now, nothing here is exact, because we can't exactly predict 3% inflation, but our goal over here is to, as, as we, to pre, is to predict the expense the best we can with the information and the data that we have. So it's gonna be our goal now to try to get 13,000, I forgot my number, around 13,400 13, in 10 years. Okay, amazing. So how can I go about getting 13,400 in, in 10 years?
0: Divide by 10 and save that
1: amount each day. Okay, amazing. So the one way we can do it is just to have cash. Now, as we're going to discuss the actual properly planning for the expense, I think it's important to actually talk a little bit about that before we go back to our live example, which is that, as I mentioned before, properly planning doesn't say anywhere that it means investing. If you would have an expense in six months, all of a sudden, a 12 and a half year old boy would pop out and you need to make a of him in six months. Your properly planning might mean having cash or somehow trying to get cash to pay for the bar mitzvah because you might not have the time to take on the risks which come along with investing. Investing intrinsically has risks, even if you do it in the proper way. So you might, your plan might be to have cash. But when it comes to a bar mitzvah, And when it comes to our specific case, you have 10 years on your side. You have 10 years to have money, invest, and hopefully come back with a $13,500 sum. But how can I approach investing in a cerebral and calm fashion? Because of all the news and because of all the the coffee room world that we live in, we hear about all the amazing successes that people have. And we hear, and it seems to be very simple, if you just read and listen to what goes on in the coffee room, that you could have, you could double your money in around a month, and you could quadruple it in a month and a half, and you could probably do, multiply by 10 by the end of the year. And people have done it, it's true, but we're so enamored with when it comes to investing, earning incredible returns, that excuse our ability to make returns and to invest fundamentally soundly that don't have those returns. So I want to discuss a little bit about a famous investment that was made in, in 1973, okay? I hope I'm allowed to say this over here. In 1973, in January of 1973, a man named George Steinbrenner bought the New York Yankees. He paid $10 million to purchase them. Fast forward forty nine years later, in early two thousand and twenty two, Forbes puts out their annual like franchise the value they value various franchises franchises in different sports, and they value the Yankees at I think we're getting this right at five point two five billion dollars. So again, the Steinbrenner family bought the Yankees in nineteen seventy three for ten million dollars, and now they're sitting on a franchise which is worth five point two five billion dollars. That sounds like some incredible investing to me. Well, if you plug it into, again, one of our calculators and you figure out what exactly was the annual return for this investment, the answer is a very nice but not outstanding 13.6% year-over-year investment return. Okay, not 20, not 30, 13%. If I would ask many people, if I would go onto the street, yeah, in Lakewood and say, I can offer you 13.6% on your money this year. Maybe this year, yeah. Last year, they would laugh at me. 13.6%, I got 30% here. I got my homes here. That's not exciting for them. But let's take a step back. Let's calm down. 13.6% is excellent. And if you do it consistently enough, you could turn $10 million into $5 billion. Just don't have bad years. But that's an incredible investment. So we also would like to approach investing and stay consistent to our motif, which is it has to fit within the category of properly planning. If you invest in a bank in Cincinnati and the bank goes out of business, you might be hurt, but the economy of Cincinnati and Cincinnati will thrive. there's no bank which will take down the the economy over here. If you invest in a dental office, if you invest in a startup, in an IT company, in a school, in whatever possible investment exists in this community and it does not work out, the community will thrive. Yet if you would invest in the entire Cincinnati community and all the businesses in Cincinnati would fail and you would be left penniless, Cincinnati... Would cease to exist. There is no city or country, for that matter, that could survive without a flourishing economy. It won't, it won't happen. So, as we approach, as we approach investing, I would like to pose this question to anybody over here, and um, answers are welcome. We have an expense over here in our Bar Mitzvah case of thirteen and a half thousand dollars. Now let's say I would I would offer you thirteen and a half thousand dollars cash, a wad of hundreds, I would put it in the safe deposit box. It would unlock when the bar mitzvah was occurring, and I would say, "Would would you be happy with this? You know, planning for your bar mitzvah? Would this be something you would be okay with?" Anybody? Cash. I'm paying you for your bar mitzvah today. Why not? So the why not is, well, because maybe the United States government, which backs a little economics 101, maybe the government will cease to exist. Maybe we will be like in bunkers, you know, uh, with guns and doing whatever we got to do and storming the capital. Maybe it will cease to exist and the dollar will be worthless. The answer is that there are certain risks that we don't really consider risks. There are certain possibilities that we don't consider possible. So assuming that we are correct in this assumption that the United States will be in existence in 10 years, we can now think back to what we mentioned earlier. Well, if the United States will will be around in 10 years, then I know for sure that its economy will exist as well. Because, like we mentioned again, a country cannot exist without an economy. So as we're approaching Financial planning and as as we're approaching the properly planned part of our plan We now know we have something that we can pretty much count on that will exist. I know that my money will not go to zero It has to exist So that's a good start for us, but we also would like to check in and see and see exactly what? the Returns have been for this investment, which I already feel a little bit comfortable with and that is Again, you ask our favorite friend, Dr. Google, and you say, what has the United States economy produced year over year in terms of of investment? And Google will spit out, I think this is pretty consistent across the board, 10.5%. Over the last approximately 100 years, if you invested in the United States economy, you would get 10.5% year over year. This is not this is not this does not mean that every single year you got 10.5%. This means that if you kept it in over the long haul, you would make an average of 10.5% every single year. So now, while it's very difficult to give financial advice on a generic level, because every person's own situation is different, we have something here that might be tenable. We have a business. That is, that is, will definitely exist, it will not go out of business, with a very strong history of 10.5% returns every single year. So, given the proper circumstances, and again, I think this is something which maybe should be broached with somebody to discuss it with to make sure that your risk tolerance can even handle this, you might think of putting your money in a very secure, safe investment. In the last eight months, many individual stocks have gone down approximately seventy or eighty percent. However, the economy as a whole, even the worst sectors, have gone down really a maximum of thirty, a low thirty percent. So, although that's pretty bad few months, but if you invested in the proper way, if you weren't greedy, if you didn't look at investing in a very you know, buy and sell way. You look. You approach it in a more fundamental way. You would have been down half. While most people, we didn't do what you did. were down. So in this, back to our case with the mitzvah. We now know really two parts of our of our journey. We now we have a clear idea that we have an expense of thirteen and a half thousand dollars. And we also know that there is this investment out there called the United States as a whole, we'll get to the particulars of it a little bit later on, which can produce around 10.5% year over year as an investment. But now we have to get, gain clarity on how can I combine those two facts? How can I, what information can I glean from my expense and from my knowledge of a certain investment which is good? So here I want to introduce everybody to Another um, Google Help. And if you have a a phone, I would suggest you you remember this this tool. And that is to go back to our our, our Google. And instead of typing in inflation calculator, type in investment calculator. If you type in investment calculator and you go to my good old favorite investment calculator.net, I'm not sure if you guys all see it. You will, look, you will see a screen which looks like this. Now, on the screen, on, on top over here, there are five buttons to hit. Each one representing something you would like to solve for. And I'll read them out to you out loud. One of them is an end amount. One of them is an additional contribution. One of them is a return rate, a start amount, or, or an invest length. Now, in this case, we're going to assume that no one put away any money for their sons or mitzvah, and they're starting with zero. And we also have a very clear idea what the end amount is. We know that the end amount is $13,500. What we really want to try to figure out is what is my additional contribution? How much do I need to put in every single year to get to my $13,500? So... Let's do it together. We have, we're going to click the additional contribution button and you can follow along. And we're gonna hit our target. Let's try to be exact in fact. What was our number that we came up with? Anybody remember 13,400? All right, $13,439. Okay, I think there was nine cents there maybe as well. Six cents. We have an an end amount of of $13,439. Now we hit a starting amount, asks us or what our starting amount is, and as we mentioned before, we're going to put a starting amount of zero. Next, we also know that we want the bar will, will happen in 10 years. So we put in that we have an investment amount of 10 years. Now we also know, as we did a little history, that our return rate is approximately 10 and a half thousand dollars. It's approximately 10 and percent. However... Since we're dealing with a 10-year horizon, which I don't believe is the largest sample time, let's be conservative and let's put in 9%. Let's not put in the full 10.5%. Let's you know approach with caution. Now we want the interest to compound annually. We want to contribute at the end of every year. Make sure you hit the end and hit, hit it every year. And then we hit calculate. Here we go. So the calculator spits at me, you will need to contribute $884.56 at the end of each year to reach your target of $13,439. And now, it even gives you more information, which is really cool. It tells you that over the 10 years, you will have invested $8,845.56. You will have earned interest of $4,593.44. And it even goes through a year-by-year schedule exactly how the investment got to your $13,500. Now what's really amazing about this is that every person is different. Certain people already have $3,000 or $4,000 saved up for their child. Maybe they're, they're, they did it themselves, maybe they had a parent or an in-law put away money for the child. And we can go and change the numbers in the calculator for each person's own individual story. If you have $2,000 invested for your child, You could put your starting contribution to $2,000. You put your end contribution as the $13,500. And you, you you want to have it compound annually and at the end of every single year. And you click Calculate and you'll come up with whatever answer you need. Now this is a very, very powerful tool. And this process can be done with all expenses. It can be done if you're saving up for a car. It can be done if you're saving up for a house. It can be done if you're standing up for a wedding. We want to go through this very disciplined process. Try to ask yourself, what, how expensive is that expense today? In how many years will that expense occur? How much will inflation take a bite out of that expense? What investment return do I think is proper? And then put it together on the calculator and get your answer. And again, this is something which really, you know, my <coughs> advice to approach the whole market is something which really has to be taken on a, on a case-to-case basis. Because again, there are certain situations that maybe the whole market is maybe a little too risky. Maybe you don't have enough time frame. But just as a generic way of approaching the investment, this is a very powerful tool that can be done. And especially when we're dealing with long-term investments, it's a very, very good um Invest, it's a very good piece of investment advice. What investment are you
0: talking about, though? Mutual fund
1: or something? So we're we gonna get to we're gonna get to um, to that. Um, so yeah, let's let's jump into that. Let's jump into that right now, actually. So what do I mean by investing in the whole market? It sounds like a bunch of jargon that you hear from any classic like uh, you know wirehouse. Just invest in the market and do this and this and this. What does it mean, and how can you go about investing in the market? So now, we all know that there's a concept. We all know, and we all have bank accounts. Now, bank accounts are a place to hold money that you can use on an everyday basis. But I cannot go and buy a stock or a bond in a bank account. In order for me to properly do so, I have to go to a broker shop. And there, I'm going to give you five of the, I think, the most famous and most popular investment shops. There is Vanguard. There is Fidelity. There is Charles Schwab. There is TD Ameritrade. Then there is the new hot one on the block, Robinhood. Mm-hmm. Now, I would not suggest you go to Robinhood. But Robinhood did affect and make all our, our the other uh, burgers better and cheaper. Um, you can choose any one of them, and literally it's about it's opening a bank account the same way you would open a Chase account. You open up an account with this, you go, you go there, open an account, you put in your information, your birthday, your social security number, all that type of good stuff, and you really have a bank account open. Now this gives you the ability to invest in the market. Now, there are many stocks in the market which represent companies to invest in, and there are bonds which represent debt in companies to invest in, and there are also, what are called mutual funds and ETFs. Now, mutual funds and ETFs are what they call a basket of funds, which means that I can put $100 into a mutual fund, and that mutual fund invests in 100 stocks, or 500 stocks, or even 1,000 or more stocks. Now, what that does for us, especially if it's done in a mutual fund which carries the entire market, is that it gives us a pretty accurate description of what's happening in the entire market in the United States. So if I would have even a company as large as Amazon go out of business, since I'm invested in the, in the entire market, my money will be affected, yes, but it won't be affected so much. And since it's secured by having thousands of companies, I'm not nervous about the market about specific companies going out of business, nor am I so nervous about small ups and downs in the market. The market will always, since we have such an incredible history of it, the market will always produce over the long term pretty nice results. So to properly, I, I don't want me to give all the, like the, 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 the ticker symbols for all the funds. If anybody has those specific questions, they can contact me. Afterwards, I'm happy to email them the you know the ticker symbols that they can look for. All the wirehouses that have, have those have those funds. And you can buy these funds which invest in the entire economy. And that way you can get that investment return that we spoke about of 10.5%. Now I want to discuss, I guess, quickly, one very important factor um, when it comes to financial planning.
0: One question on that, so let's say you take SP, S&P, right, so the past, like you said, 10.5%, the past 20 years was 7.5%, but when adjusted for inflation, the annual return of the S&P was only 3.5%. So can you address that?
1: Yeah. Um, By definition, um, if you read a securities license book, um, they ask, how can I beat inflation? What is the way to beat inflation? And the answer is through investing in stocks, because stocks have historically beat inflation over the history. So again, we have in this case that the inflation rate was X and the investments in the market was a larger amount of of money. So even though your 8% subtracted from inflation is not as exciting, but if you do the process that we went through, you'll see that you'll still have significant savings over that period of time. Maybe it's not your 8% or 10%, but you're beating the inflation. So you're not losing money by doing nothing. And you're And you're also gaining a tremendous amount. So the approach isn't to be like, you know, let me have my cake and eat it too. I want my 10.5% and let me have inflation be zero. It's obviously recognizing that there is inflation, which sometimes is healthy, and um, approaching it with that understanding. So there's one other part of financial planning, which I do want to discuss, which I think is very important, um, which is... You also want to be as tax efficient as possible. Um, we I discussed and just threw out a bar mitzvah and threw out investments and threw out a return and said Shalom Yisrael and said we have a great case of having $800 year over year invest, invested and you have, you know, a bar mitzvah, but what about taxes? We all know that the IRS takes a bite out of everything that we do. So. First of all, all taxes should be thrown by an, an accountant because that's who deals with, with with taxes. But when it comes to children's accounts, which is why um, bar mitzvahs and weddings very often involve opening accounts under children's name, which is called the UTMA account, very often you can get around the taxes of a... Of the, the kiddie tax, which is involved. There is, you know, by consistently, you know, harvesting the gains, over you know, year over year to be under the threshold of paying taxes, or for children when they get married, is once they get married, and they're married finally jointly, if they're not really earning any money, they're not, gonna pay any, they're not gonna pay any taxes on their years and years of gains. So it's important whenever you, if you do create a financial plan for yourself, it's important to run it by your accountant and make sure that your plan works with the IRS. So I want to discuss just quickly, it's hard to discuss financial planning and not really discuss anything about retirement plans. And retirement retirement plans really work within the framework of being tax efficient. The IRS wants to make sure, and the government wants to make sure, that people will be financially stable when they get to retirement age. By doing that, in order to facilitate that the IRS gives tremendous tax breaks if you invest and you delineate your money and you say it's going to be specifically for retirement so if we're discussing a it's getting a little late over here but if we're discussing reti- if we're discussing saving for retirement it's very important that whatever financial plan you create which probably should be run through maybe a financial advisor does include putting money away in iras or 401k's And there are two types of them. There's a Roth and a traditional. But it's very important that everyone recognizes that when we're dealing with retirement, make sure that you're being as tax efficient as possible. Because as I I tell many people, and I've told to people today, nothing I can tell you is better than saving 30% on your taxes. If you can pay the least amount of taxes, that's the best investment advice you can get. So again, in review a little bit over here, make sure that that you predict your expenses. Properly plan it. And be as tax efficient as possible. And I guess I'll I'll open up a little bit. Yeah? So I have a question.
0: So, like, about a few decades ago, Dave Ramsey recommended that Listen person have a $1,000 emergency fund. <laughs> today, like, this is going to say, with everything going on in the economy, with inflation and everything like that, like, what size of emergency fund should somebody have? Like, that's the first thing to just, like, save for us.
1: Yeah. So I think the um, the general consensus is that you would like a, between three and six months worth of expenses in an emergency fund. You want it accessible. Um, but I do want to say that sometimes money, which is put in the market, if you have enough money, which is in the market, um, it's very liquid. The money could be in and out within two days. So in that type of circumstance, it could be, again, that amongst a financial plan, it could be that you would be comfortable with a little bit less. But the general consensus is you want access between, between three and six months' worth of your, your money. Can you
0: throw out some of those ticker symbols?
1: Yes, um, if you're asking. Um, the classic, the most well-known fund which, which invests in the overall market, the S&P, which is what most people consider the belly of the market, is ticker symbol SPY. That's the Spider S&P 500 ETF. It's very, very cheap. It, does, it basically costs you nothing to invest in that, in that fund. The fund charges like 0. .02%, .0-something 0. 0 percent, very, a, a very, very small amount relative to all the mutual funds. And it will give you exposure to the entire S&P 500. Um, another one which covers S&P 500 if you're, if you're, if you're investing in Vanguard is VOO. Again, so we have SPY and VOO. Those are two most popular funds which invest in the overall in the totality of the S and P And I want to mention one other um, one, which is called VTI, which is the the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund. And that not only invests and gives you exposure to the S and P it gives you exposure to the entirety of the stock market. So, technically speaking, the the fund which fits, you know, the um, the, the, the discussion that we had earlier is really the VTI fund.
0: These are all consistent about 10% all these funds? Yeah. What's, obviously it's a bad idea, but explain why. Why is it a bad idea to borrow money, let's say at a rate of 3% invested in the SPY, right, so you're getting your 8.5% to 10.5% to develop, develop. so you know, they kept all revenue, what's the problem with that? Okay,
1: very good. So, I think I wanted to bring this out a little bit, a little bit clearer, which is that I'm all for for business, um, and if you in business, I think in real estate especially, there's a concept of you buy into risk, which means that if you're not gonna.